started a couple weeks ago, so if you want to turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 32. Uh, I broke it up into two sermons. I somewhat explained why last time. I'll explain why again today, but because it's one narrative about uh, the golden calf. We read the whole thing last time. We're going to read the whole thing today, and then we'll do a brief review of what we spoke about two weeks ago, and then I'll share what God laid on my heart for tonight. So if we can all stand in honor of reading God's Word, we will be reading all of Exodus 32, the story of the golden calf. Okay, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early and the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, With evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he has spoken of bringing on his people. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, It is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of a cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, Let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, 
for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each of you at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. The next day Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people, because they made the calf the one that Aaron made. You may be seated. Okay, so first of all, I will fully acknowledge that there's still wrong in this chapter. Okay, if we wanted to extend the sermon from two weeks ago, um, there, there's more we could find. But as far as what we talked about last week, or two weeks ago, we said, the title of the sermon was, What Went Wrong, for those of you who weren't here. We said that, you know, God had delivered them from bondage in, in Egypt. He had done miracle after miracle with them. Their leader was up on a mountain getting the special word delivered down to them. What in the world made them fall so far, so fast? And what we got out of the first ten verses is the first thing that went wrong is that the people thought. The people looked at the circumstances around them, and instead of thinking godly thinking, they thought, uh-oh, we need to do something here. And obviously their answer was not the right one. Um, but what was worse than the people thinking what went wrong second is that Aaron listened. And that's the danger of not having godly leaders, that yes, the people were wrong for what they were presenting to Aaron, but Aaron could have nipped it in the bud right there, and instead he kept it going, whether it's because he was afraid of a mutiny or he actually believed what they were saying. Uh, definitely the second thing that went wrong is that Aaron listened, and then the third thing is that God responded. Not that God ever does anything wrong, but the fact that they put God in a position to have to respond. We said there are natural consequences to sin. Those things, you can't be surprised when they happen. But 3,000 people didn't naturally die because the Israelites made a golden calf. That was direct from God. That was God being put in a position where he had to respond in a way that I'm sure he didn't want to. I'm sure it wasn't part of his plan uh, to, to bless his nation, but they put him in that position, and we want to make sure that we don't. So plenty went wrong um, in the story of the golden calf, and I think most of us associate wrong with the story of the golden calf. Um, but I wanted to break it up into two sermons because there's a lot that went right. Tonight's sermon title is What Went Right? And I'm very happy to tell you that we're going to have more verses about what went right than what went wrong. I thank God for that, that we can look at the same situation and not only can he present to us a situation where we can learn from what they did wrong and try to prevent that from happening in our life, but we can also learn from what went right and try to mirror those things in our life and mimic those things uh, so that we don't go down paths that lead us to places we don't want to be. Uh, so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to look at these last, I guess, 25 verses of Exodus 32, 
seeing what went right and hopefully finding a lot of those things already in our life. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. Again, it was months ago when I knew I had Exodus 32, and now here I am with the honor and opportunity to share it. Uh, you kept me on this earth. You kept me healthy. You kept me safe. You made sure that I would be in this pulpit at this moment, just as you made sure that everyone seated out there would be able to be out there, Lord, uh, physically as well as spiritually have the desire to be here tonight. So I thank you for that. I thank you that I know your hand is on this meeting, Lord, as much as we have the physical requests that, that, that we always lift up to you for health and, and provision, Lord, uh, our, our top priority now is that we hear from you, that you speak to our hearts through your word, that we allow your spirit to, to say what we need to hear individually, and that, uh, that we just have receptive hearts that are willing to respond to whatever it is you say to us through your word. So I thank you in advance, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so like I said, if you wanted to list off a few more things that went wrong, I actually gave you guys some homework two weeks ago, you probably don't remember. You're supposed to read the rest of the chapter, see what else went wrong, and see what you thought went right, just to see if uh, it lines up with what God laid on my heart. Um, but definitely, we didn't spend much time talking about how the people were pretty much partying in their sin. You know, God's up there fuming at them, and they're, they're having a party. Um, Aaron's doing his best Adam impersonation, trying to blame everyone but himself for his sin. And then there's some bitter segment of God's people that even when Moses gives them the opportunity to repent, refuse. So there's still more that's wrong here, and I'll, I'll touch on those a little bit, but tonight I 100% want to focus on what went right. And I think you all would agree, if we're going to focus on what went right, our focus is going to be on Moses. Moses has a lot to offer tonight. Um, the funny thing is, these sermons are going to kind of mirror each other. That's how I knew that God wanted me to preach them as two separate sermons, that for everything that went wrong, there's a corresponding something that went right. That's how he spoke to my heart, that how the passage started with the people thinking. And even at the time, I said, thinking isn't bad. Christianity is a thinking religion. God gave us brains so that we could think. We're supposed to use them to worship him. It's just too often we lean on our own understanding. So if the first thing that went wrong two weeks ago is that the people thought, I will definitely tell you the first thing that went right in the rest of the passage is that Moses thought. Uh, this is by far my biggest point. I have five sub-points underneath this, and the sermon will almost be over when I'm done talking about everything I got from the way that Moses thought right. Okay, so that's going to pick up in verse 11. But before we get there, I just want to make sure we understand the context of where Moses finds himself. He's up on the mountain. God is giving him the law. I'm sure it is an amazing, mind-blowing experience. And as far as Scripture tells us, it's really kind of out of the blue. We don't know what's going on at the moment. We know what's going down at the bottom of the mountain. But at the top of the mountain, we have no idea what's going on when verse 7 comes along and the Lord says to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Now you'll see, I highlighted the word your. Some people feel that that was God ready to disown Israel. Eh, I think it's God's using Israel's own words. Those are the words Israel actually said to uh, Aaron in the beginning when he said, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. I shared two weeks ago, as well as in the past, that I don't think that golden calf was supposed to replace God. That golden calf was actually supposed to replace Moses. 
They wanted something tangible to hold on to and to say, okay, we have something we can see, something we can hold, a graven image that isn't necessarily anti-God, but that God warned them not to have. I think God is somewhat sarcastically telling Moses, guess what? These people are worshiping you more than they're worshiping me. They're not worried about having me on their side. They're worried they can't find you anymore. They just went and made themselves a golden calf because they don't have you. And then he goes on to say, they've turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them. I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. Before we talk about Moses' response, just take a second and ask yourself, what would your response be? You're up there in the glory of God, obedient, servant, doing everything you want. Everything's going great. If I can use the parallel of being home with your wife, having a wonderful time, and then the phone rings and it's the principal again. Right? Moses could not have been happy. He didn't do anything wrong. Why am I getting yelled at? Why, am I, why is my time getting ruined? This is ridiculous. What do you mean my people? They're your people. I don't want them. You take them. Right? I would have been so mad that these stubborn, annoying, whatever you want. Oh my goodness, they did it again. They're ruining. So I would have been annoyed. I might have been a little proud. Because it sure sounds like God's opening the door to maybe uh, give me a promotion here. Right? You're right, Lord, let's wipe these people out. I don't know what you were thinking there. You do it through me, we'll do it right this time. Israel 2.0. Like, there's so many things Moses could have been thinking. Just know that, because sometimes when you read the passage, you get from verse 11 to verse 15 real quick. You don't, you don't really stop and think about it. Think of all the places Moses' mind could have went. Think of all the things that he could have thought. Think about the things the people and Aaron were thinking. And where does Moses' mind go right away? Remember, totally caught off guard. There is no way Moses knew this was coming. And the very first thing that pops into his mind when God tells him what's going on, Moses, in verse 11, Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? That's a stupid question if he stops right there. Why are you so mad, God? Just because they made a golden calf and they're... I mean, come on, but he doesn't stop there. Oh, no, Lord, why is your anger burning hot against them? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. I'll tell you, that really spoke to my heart. If this was a trivia night, I might have known that that's how Moses responded, but when I really stopped and thought about it, and really stopped and thought about how I would have responded if I was in that position of doing nothing wrong and having my night ruined and actually kind of getting almost like they're your people. No. Straight to, yeah, but Lord, this isn't going to paint you in a good light. Yeah, but Lord, you deserve better. The first thing that Moses thought correctly is Moses thought about God's reputation. Right away. I mean, that really is amazing. That he was so in tune with the Spirit that the very first thing that popped into his mind had nothing to do with him. It wasn't, this isn't fair to me, or, yeah, I'd love a promotion. Nothing, nothing that I got to think all of us would have thought first. Moses right away, yeah, but Lord, this isn't going to make you look good. 
After everything you've done for your people, do you want the Egyptians to mock you? Do you want them to say, see that? He just led them out there to die. All that mattered to Moses was God's reputation. And it reminded me of what Pastor preached just a few weeks ago when he was talking about the Lord's Prayer and how Jesus opens up with, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. I've known that since the womb I've known that line. I've always thought of it as more of a statement of fact. Lord, your name is hallowed. Your name is respected. Your name is holy. And pastor said, no, it's really a petition. It's a request that, Lord, we want your name to be hallowed. We want your name to be lifted up. That's what Moses is doing here. The very first thing he's thinking, as as he's really just getting caught off guard by all of this, is, yeah, but Lord, how is it going to make you look? Because you deserve all the honor, and you deserve all the glory, and don't do anything that would even come close to depriving you of it. That's what we need to ask ourselves. Do we take every aspect of our life, every thought, every action, every decision, and weigh it against, but what will this do for God's reputation? We need to. That's the first thing, the first step that I believe in what went right in our life is when it's not about us. And it's all about him. Psalm 79.9 says, Help us, O God, of our salvation for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins for your name's sake. This isn't just, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I don't want to be in trouble. It's, no, Lord, I know I've sinned. Like I said, Moses is asking a stupid question if he's really asking, why does your wrath burn hot? Moses, if anyone knew about wrath, Moses did. But it's, Lord, you, you, you can't do that. You can't wipe your people out. That's going to harm your name. That's going to harm your reputation, Lord. You need to do this for your sake. And then, of course, we know that as we strive to have God be hallowed in our lives, the natural progression is then it's hallowed around us. We've got Matthew five sixteen. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Again, not that we don't turn our light on. We are a light. Yes? We said the only way the light doesn't shine is if you put it under a bushel. But your light is shining so that God gets the glory. We know that doesn't mean everyone who sees it is going to verbally glorify him. That glory may come at judgment. But he is sitting in heaven smiling when he sees that we're living lives that put his reputation first beyond ours, beyond where we might have been wronged or where we might have a chance to be promoted. No, those things take a back seat. Lord, are you going to be honored in this? Are you going to get the glory in this? 1 Peter 2.12, which I copied down, so I'll read it off there. Keep your conduct honorable among, your, among the Gentiles, honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Is my first thought when people speak against me as an evildoer, and you know that inherent in there is that you're not. If they speak of you as an evildoer and you're actually an evildoer, that's a completely different sermon. (laughs) The assumption here is you're not, but that's what they call you. That's what they want to say about you. That's how they want to hurt your name and drag you down. And you know something? Keep your conduct honorable, not because of your name, but because it'll give glory to him. So that's the first thing I ask all of us to consider as far as what went right in the second part of the golden calf. When we look at Moses, we see somebody who thought about God's reputation right out of the block. 
Nothing else mattered to him uh, that really spoke to my heart. But now as we look at verse 13, the next part of Moses' response, Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. Once again, a pretty stupid statement on the surface. Moses is telling God to remember something? <laughs> Moses is thinking God might have forgotten? I, I think it's pretty safe to say that wasn't Moses' point. Moses' point was pretty much saying, I remember. I know what you've said. I know what you've promised. And that's the second thing that Moses thought right. Moses thought about God's reputation, and Moses thought about God's promises. Moses knew what God had promised, and he knew God wasn't going to do something that would in any way stop that promise from being fulfilled. Now, an interesting thought that I read in a commentary that I'd never actually thought before. God could have wiped out the entire nation of Israel. He could have started fresh through Moses, and guess what? That promise still would have been fulfilled because Moses was a descendant of Abraham, a descendant of Israel. But isn't that how we tend to treat God's promises you know something, he said this, and if you look at it this way and turn it sideways and flip it around, you know what it actually says is, that's not what Moses did. Not for a second did Moses think, hey, you know something, that might work. Yeah, because yeah, my great-great-great-grandfather is a, hey, yeah, let's, no. Because he knew that's not what God meant. Moses wasn't interested in taking God's promises and seeing how he could twist them to his benefit. Moses knew God's promises, and that's all that mattered to him. All that mattered is he knew what, not just what God promised, but what God meant through that promise. He knew that that sack of sinners down there was exactly who God had promised, was exactly who God was going to work through. And because of that, Moses wasn't going to fall for this trap or test or whatever you want to call it from God to even consider, yeah, maybe we should try over, plan B. No. He knew what God's plan was, just like Abraham knew what God's plan was, in Romans 4, we're reminded that Abraham, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he drew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Yeah, but come on, John. God, like, actually talked to him. Like, doesn't that hold a little more? Were you in service this morning? Is this what we say it is, or is it just a book that's losing its binding, so I need it? Come on. This is either God really making promises to us that we can cling to and that we can fashion our lives and, and make our decisions after, or it's not. In 2 Timothy 1.12, Paul says, Which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. I know that starts halfway through a verse. I know I should go to the verses before it. And I purposely didn't. Because it doesn't matter what Paul is suffering. All that matters is why he's willing. What comes before those verses changes for all of us. All of us are asked to suffer in different ways. But the ending should be the same for all of us. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Do I have the same general promises Lenny does? Yes. 
Do I have the same specific ones? I would have to say no, because God has a specific plan for each of his children. But if my focus is on those promises, if my focus is on what the Word of God says, which is why pastor keeps saying we have to grow in what the Word of God says, you can't hold God to his promises if you don't know what his promises are. That's when you hear something on the TV in the background and say, oh, I didn't know God promised that. Awesome. Go find it. And if God lays on your heart that he's promising it to you, then cling to it. That's what your thinking should be. Do you really think, and again, I don't want to bash the Israelites because I don't know what I would have been like stuck in the middle of the wilderness looking around me with no leader to be seen. I don't know. But are you telling me that if they were focused on God's promises, they would have still made a golden calf? Are you telling me that whether it was the promise that he gave to Abraham or just the promises that he gave all along, that I'm going to take care of you, I'm going to deliver you, I'm going to be there for you. If they had been thinking about those promises, I guarantee you they would have held a prayer meeting for Moses. They wouldn't have built a golden calf to replace him. But their thinking was wrong. Moses' thinking was right. So that's the second thing I will ask us. Is your thinking based on God's reputation? Is your thinking based on God's promises? Do you know his promises? And then if so, like Pastor said this morning, if you really do know this stuff, is it impacting your life the way you know it should, but maybe not the way it always does? And I'll raise my hand for that one right along with a lot of you. Uh, We're going to skip verse 14 for now because we're just focusing on what Moses was thinking. So picking up in verse 15, Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. It really is amazing how much you can get out of these things when you just stop and meditate on them. I'm just telling you. I'm not saying any of you had to get out of this what I did. God spoke it to my heart. But there were so many things that I missed the first 500 times I read this. It never occurred to me what my response would have been coming down that mountain, knowing that we just averted disaster, but oh my goodness, were they going to get it? You know, wait till daddy gets home type thing. Oh my goodness, these people, I am so sick. He should have been storming down that mountain. He wasn't. The passage goes out of its way to say, no, he was holding The written word of God. It goes out of its way to make sure you know God actually engraved on it. I bet you Moses, look, not for nothing, Moses killed a man. Moses knew what it was like to react in the moment. Moses probably had, I don't want to say, in my mind as I picture this, I could see Moses ready to go down there and make sure the people knew what they were doing wrong, but just let them know God forgave you. Listen, listen, we're going to be okay. Here's the law. Here's what he, I really think Moses expected this to end well. He did not get mad until verse 19. Verse 19 says, As soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, 
Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Those of us who aren't dancers know you cannot claim that. Anything more than it's saying right now, got it? People can still dance, just they can't force us. But it wasn't that he saw the calf, I'm sorry. I've heard people say that. Once he actually saw what was going on, that would kind of be a slap in God's face. That God got upset about it, but Moses didn't think it was that big a deal until he saw it. Oh, now, oh God, you know something? You were right. No, come on. God told Moses what was going down there, but he didn't talk about the spirit. He said they're stiff-necked, which Moses knew. But I really think Moses was caught off guard that they weren't only sinning while God was fuming up there, but they were having a party. A party loud enough that it sounded like there was a war in the camp. I think that's what really set Moses off. That's what made him, I think, break the stones in anger. The guy does have a history of anger. Later on, he's going to strike a rock out of anger. Other people have said it was symbolic that he was breaking the covenant because the people weren't worthy of it. It doesn't matter why he broke it. But I really don't think it's that they built the golden calf that got Moses so mad. Yes, they were going to have to pay for that. They were going to have to talk about that. But I think it was the heart that they did it with. It's when he saw the dancing. When he saw that it didn't matter to them at all. That's what set him off. And that's because I believe the third thing Moses was thinking about was God's holiness. Yes, Moses was a sinner. Yes, Moses had a temper. Yes, he killed a man. Yes, he, he was fallen. But oh my goodness, he had also been at the burning bush when God said, take your sandals off your standing on holy ground. And he had also just been walking down with things that had been engraved with God's finger itself. And, and, and he isn't too far from when he's going to be so close with God that his face is going to shine. This is someone who knew how holy God was. And when he knew how holy God was and he saw how little those people cared, again, it wasn't the act that they had done, but the heart and the spirit that they had done it in that I believe is what got Moses so mad. Um, the Gospel Coalition had a definition of holiness of God that I liked. It said that the holiness of God refers to the absolute moral purity of God and the absolute moral distance between God and his human creatures. Found that interesting. Because you could kind of, the holiness of God refers to the absolute moral purity of God. Like, why do you need more? Well, because the holiness of God isn't just what he is, it's what we aren't. And I really think we forget that. We don't mean it, but we get comfortable. I'm going to say with God's holiness, but I don't even mean that. Because as soon as we start getting comfortable with God's holiness, it's not his holiness anymore. It's our definition of his holiness. And it's us realizing that the world is here now, so as long as we're here, we're pretty good, when meanwhile we know God wants us here. It's no good. We have to be focused on God's holiness. If you look through Scripture, I'm telling you, Daniel and Joseph, maybe, right? I mean, you just take a couple people out of there. Job, just so many. Abraham, David, Peter, so many men that we know. Uh, Elijah, that we know were great men of God. But oh my goodness, Scripture made sure to let us know that they had their limitations. They had their weaknesses. They had their sins. They weren't perfect. Scripture wants us to be able to relate to these great men of God, to see that they sinned too. Oh, but they repented. Oh, but their heart was broken when God showed that sin, and, 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 their, and their life changed, and, and they weren't perfect. They, they, Moses never needed them to be perfect, but when he saw how little it mattered to them, how easy it was for them to commit such a sin and be so okay with it, that's what got Moses, because he was focused 
on God's holiness. When we lose sight of God's holiness, whether it's because we're rationalizing, lowering the bar, whatever it is, that's when things are going to go wrong. You want things to go right in your life? Keep God's holiness where it belongs. Uh, my devotions yesterday just happened to have me in Proverbs 6, the very popular verses. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. I usually focus on that last one because scripture does. But it's interesting when you realize every single one of them really are, at least potentially, an offense against someone else. Haughty eyes means you're looking down on someone. Lying tongue means you're lying to someone. Hands that shed innocent blood doesn't necessarily mean you're actually killing them, but it means that you, for selfish reasons, you're harming them for your benefit. All of these are actually things that affect others. And I guess we could say, you know, that's why it gets God so mad, because of the way it hits others. But really, there's a lot of other things that could have been on there. You know, like if you went out on the street and asked somebody for a list of top 10 sins, they're, they're probably not going to say lying. You know, they're probably not going to say bearing false witness or a heart that devises wicked plans. Well, as long as you don't actually do it, it's not. I think God hates those things so much because they fly in the face of his holiness. If you really are thinking about his holiness, you're not going to have haughty eyes. How could you? How could you look down on someone else when you're focused on how holy God is and how holy you're not? That's when you're poor in spirit. That's when you're in the Beatitudes. And Jesus is saying, blessed are those who are poor in spirit because you're focused on his holiness. Why would you lie? Or shed innocent blood, have selfish intent when you, you realize that he's here and you're here and you don't deserve anything he gives you. And, and now you're going to lie because you want more? I'm telling you, I... It doesn't matter why God picked these things to say they're the ones he hates, but I really believe he hates them because they, they treat his holiness like it's nothing. That his children will walk around, you know, there's a book, Respectable Sins, whatever you want to call it, will walk around and, and, and we live this good enough life. Oh, God's good enough. You know, all right, maybe he wants it here, but this is better than, oh, again, I'm no more perfect than the rest of you. We'll just leave it at that. Oh, but at least that's to bother us. When we start getting cold and desensitized to things, that's when things are going to get wrong. And that's why I believe Moses was in the right for how upset he got, even though it looks like he's throwing a temper tantrum, when it was in relation to God's holiness being, again, his holiness and his reputation, they go together. Yes? I don't blame him for getting as upset as he did. In fact, I would say it's to his credit and all of us, not that we should start breaking stones and uh, making people drink melted gold. But I just think that the world we live in has desensitized all of us to some extent. And we really could benefit from focusing more on God's holiness and just pressing a reset button and realizing that some of the things that maybe we let slide, maybe not in our own life, but in the lives of those around us, for sake of not arguing or, or not you know, choosing our battles, well, just make sure the Holy Spirit's choosing your battles. Okay? Make sure you're sensitive to him when he's telling you that you need to stand um, in the face of what this world is throwing at us. All right, so just to keep re uh, reviewing, what the first thing that went right, Moses thought. He thought about God's reputation. He thought about God's promises. He thought about God's holiness. And then we pick up in verse 21. 
And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. Now, we'll stop there a second. I was going to keep reading, but, you know, we like to laugh about, you know, Aaron saying, the, the, it's not funny. You know what I mean? Like, again, if this was a sermon about Aaron, we'd still be talking about everything that went wrong. But I struggle a little bit thinking that that's why God included it in Scripture. Just to make sure we know what a fool Aaron was, I, I really still think this is about Moses. Moses is coming down, he's got the tablets, he looks at the people, he's, he's just crushed, he's broken, he breaks, the t- he goes down there, he punishes, and he turns into one person, not God, the one person he thought he could count on, and w- what happened here? What did the people do to you, right? They must have forced you, they must have held something to your head. Well, I don't know what you want me to say, they, you know, you know these people, you know, they said, so, you know, we threw something in, and, and let's be honest, Moses, I mean... They said, as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know. I mean, he's even blaming Moses. Sounded like Saul blaming Samuel. Well, if you would come back in seven days, I wouldn't have had to have. Aaron had every excuse in the book, but just look at it from Moses' point of view. This day is just going from bad to worse. It started awesome, and then it averts disaster. So, okay, now we can breathe. Oh, my goodness, they're throwing a party. Punish them. Aaron, what's going on here? I don't know what to tell you. It wasn't me. Like, everything's going wrong. He's got to be ready. He's got to be on his last straw. But what does Moses do? When he saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp. And each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. I think that's so beautiful, and I I never saw that before. Moses had every reason to just give up. I'm done. There's just, I can't do this. My own brother I thought I could count on, and even he's making excuses. What does Moses do? He gets up on the, all right, who's on the Lord's side? Let's do this. Moses thought about God's remnant. What a beautiful contrast compared to Elijah who, after a huge victory from God, gets threatened by the queen and wants to go crawl in a hole and die and literally has to be reminded, you're not alone. I've got people out there. We wonder, Elijah, how did your mind, how did you lose your, 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 your you, you just had such a powerful victory, what happened? His thinking is what happened. He thought he was in it alone. The world we live in today is not an easy one. I've got to think a lot of us feel like we are in this alone. We are surrounded by lunacy. I mean, we we can't even try to understand what's going on because as soon as we think we understand this, they've shifted it over to here. We have got to stay focused on the fact that God will always have his remnant. Always. And we are a part of that remnant. And I actually want to talk more about the remnant in a little bit. But right now, just let that sink in. 
You've got Elijah, a great man of God, who showed what happens when you think you're alone. When you think that you have to do this with no help. And you keep asking yourself why pastor says to come out to all of these things. Yes, it's so that you can grow in God's word. Yes, it's so that you can mature as a Christian. Of course. But even those things sound so singular. You know, do it because you need it. You need to be re-energized. You need to be recharged. You need to be reminded of truth. You need to be cleaned off. You need to, we need these things. We need each other. And somehow, with as bad as the situation was, Moses knew. All right, everybody, who's on the Lord's side? There's no way I'm doing this myself. And sure enough, God's people stepped up. But like I said, we'll talk about that in a second. Let's just finish what Moses did. Okay, Moses focused on God's reputation. He focused on his promises. He focused on his holiness. He focused on his remnant. And then verse 30. The next day Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you will forgive their sin. But if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf the one that Aaron made. Definitely keeps putting emphasis on Aaron because of the importance of godly leadership. I do not say that Cockily, I say that extremely humbly as we continue to ask for your prayers that we not fall into the trap that Aaron did. But again, look at verse 30. The next day, Moses said to the people, we've all been there. We have all had the day of all days. Agreed? Where it just cannot end soon enough. You just you fall asleep and there's just something better about waking up the next day. I would not have blamed Moses at all if he had just let this go. It's over. Done. Moses, can, can we just start fresh? No. You have sinned a great sin. I'm going to go to the Lord and see if I can make atonement for you. Wait, but Moses, I thought you already did that. I thought you said he was going to kill us and then he relented. and Nothing's happened since. God already knew they were partying. It's not like they had new sins to repent for. Why did Moses want to make atonement twice. I believe it's because the first one is for forgiveness, whereas the second one was for restoration. Right? It's one thing to not be blown off the face of the earth, annihilated, but it's another thing to be back in fellowship with God. I know I wrote God's restoration so that it could fit with the rest of the points, but that, you know what I mean. Moses didn't want to just settle for, oh good, he didn't kill us. Oh good, we're still, no. He wanted to be restored into fellowship with God. When he says, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book. I know I used to read that as him kind of playing a game of chicken. Oh yeah? Well, you don't take them back? You can't have me either. No, that's not what he's saying. What he's pretty much saying is, Lord, if you can't forgive their sin, put it on me. Let me pay the price. Sound familiar? Sound like a Lord and Savior that we serve and honor? Right? That's what Moses was trying to do. He wasn't successful because he wasn't able to pay for the sins of an entire people all on his own. But that was his heart. 
Lord, if that's what it takes, that's what Paul's heart is in Romans. Man, if, if, if just me getting out would let God have restoration with everyone else, right or wrong, I believe that's the heart it's coming from. Not just a heart that wants to be forgiven, but a heart that wants to be restored. A heart that wants to be back in fellowship with God. Many of you probably already know where I'm going with this. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's after you get saved. That's not confessing your sins so that you can be forgiven. That's confessing your sins so that you can be in a constant fellowship with him and that your relationship can be restored. David says, Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. If you don't feel like you have the joy of your salvation, your sermon was two weeks ago. Something's wrong. If you want to have the joy of your salvation, if you want to be in restoration, in fact, I have a summary slide that says that Moses focused on God's reputation, God's promises, God's holiness, God's remnant, and God's restoration. If you were in my math class right now, I'd be telling you to get out your phones. I'd be telling you to take a picture of that screen because you need to study that. You need to memorize that. You need to know what that says to pass the test. And wow, is this so much more important than some stat test I might be given. This is the test that tells us, is our thinking right? Is it what went right in our life or is it what went wrong? And oh my goodness, there might have been 25 verses devoted to this, but the first 10 verses are what come natural to us. The first 10 verses are the ones where our, our own understanding, our own logic, I don't know, this seems to make sense, and it takes us places we never wanted to be, and God never wanted us to be. But I guarantee you, if your focus on your thoughts, your decisions, your actions are focused on God's reputation and his promises and his holiness and his remnant, which is us, and being restored, and if that's our focus... Oh my goodness, you better believe we are on the path that God wants us to be. Won't make us perfect. I hate to say that's okay, but that's why we're forgiven. If we were perfect, we wouldn't need forgiveness. But oh my goodness, does it feel good to know that I talked way more about what right thinking is than what wrong thinking is. All right, so I can just give you my other two points. They won't be long, I promise. That was the, that was the thrust of my sermon, but... You might remember me saying that, yeah, it was wrong that the people thought, but it was even worse that God listened. Whoops, just gave it away. But it was even worse that Aaron listened. Well, guess what? It was great, all those things that Moses thought, but they would have all been useless if God hasn't listened. Agreed? Verse 14 tells us, The Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. No, he didn't change his mind. No, Moses didn't convince him of anything. If you even think that's possible, you got to talk to someone because it means your God is not omniscient. Your God didn't already know what Moses was going to say. There is so much, no offense, stupidity in actually thinking that Moses changed God's mind. He didn't. Then what happened? God listened. Right? We tend to say that, you know, prayer doesn't move God's hand, it moves us to where God's hand is. I still like that phrase. But the idea that God's hand can only be in one place, this idea that no, whether I'm in God's will or not in God's will, praying or not praying, no matter what, this is what's going to happen, isn't that kind of foolish too? Don't we serve a God who's powerful enough to have multiple things that could happen in any given scenario? Doesn't James tell us you have not because you ask not? Right? We're not telling God what to do. But isn't it nice to know he's listening? 
Isn't it nice to know that he wants to hear from us? Um, I'm going to trip over these words, but I'm going to try. I think I'm kind of in the middle ground now. I don't want my prayers to move the hand of God, because God knows what he's doing and I don't. But I don't want to say that prayer only moves me to God's hand, because maybe what prayer does is just allows God to move a hand where he wants to move it to. I think that's okay, right? I haven't really run that past any uh, study groups yet, but I kind of like that. I like that God kind of says, fine, you're not going to pray about this? Then, then I'll just do it. It's okay. Oh, wow, you're coming to me about that? You, you know that I'm the only one that can help you with that? You know, you know something this time? Yeah, I'm going to do that. You didn't change God's mind, but I don't know. It's, it's that fine line between God's sovereignty and our... I, I don't know, I just like the thought. A scripture just has too many examples where man did go to God and God humanly helps us say, you know something? I'm going to do that. Because you asked, I'm going to do that. Now, whether he ends up doing it or not isn't what's relevant. What's relevant is I hope your heart is touched to know that he's listening. He's listening. He's listening when he gives you what you're asking for. He's listening when he doesn't. And you know what's funny? Even if I do pray for something and God does it, I don't know if it's because I prayed. I'll never know this side of heaven or the other side of heaven. If he was going to do it anyway, it doesn't matter. Just take comfort and rest in knowing that as you're trying to think right and you're trying to do right and you're giving these things up to him, he is listening. Okay, I don't think I need to tell you these, but just, just remember that yes, he's listening, but he's still sovereign. Okay, Moses didn't tell God anything he didn't already know. And he's still just. Israel was still punished. All right, God's not going to bend rules because he feels bad for you because you asked him really nicely or you were persistent. or No, but in that sovereignty and in that justness, please know he's listening. Please know he wants to hear from you. He wants to know what's on your heart and he wants you to give these things to him. So again, what went wrong? The people thought Aaron listened. God responded. What went right? Moses thought God listened and the remnant responded. Remember, that's us. Right? Technically, I'm not going to go read the verses. I see what time it is. But the verses talk about how um, Moses says, Who is on the Lord's side, sir, if you're comfortable with it? It would be a great hymn to close with, but I don't know if you're comfortable with it. Do you even know who is on the Lord's side? That's fine. Okay, it's a great hymn. But Moses was not leading a song when he said that. He was really asking, Who is on the Lord's side because you're about to go through the camp and kill everybody who's not? Now, it says that the Levites stepped up. I, don't, I, I do not believe that means only the Levites. It just doesn't make any sense. I like what the one commentary said. The Levites were the only one that stood out as a group. It would almost be like if there's an anti-abortion rally and people from all around come, but a contingent of BBC goes. And they know BBC was there. Moses knew the Levites were there. And God had a special blessing in store for them. We know that. But just know that when they were going around killing their brother, and they weren't really going into people's houses and killing them. They were finding the people who were out carousing. The people who were given the choice to who is on the Lord's side or who wants to keep living the way. And they said, yeah, thanks, we'll choose this. But some of them were their brothers and their neighbors and their friends. And in the end, it didn't matter. The remnant has to do what God lays on their heart. And you know I'm not telling you to go home and grab your sword. You know that. But I know that Luke 14, 26 says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That's doesn't say he can't be saved. I'm sorry. Saved people screw up all the time. But you want to be a disciple? 
You want to be a follower of Jesus? You want to be somebody whose thinking is right? It's got to be him first and absolutely everything else last. I feel like I'm selling the Levites a little bit short here, but again, my main point was Moses' thinking. How Moses was focused on God's reputation and God's promises and God's holiness and God's remnant and God's restoration, and God was listening. Otherwise, it would have all been for nothing. And as God was listening, the remnant responded. So I think I made slides for that. What was wrong when the people thought and Aaron listened, God had to respond. But what was right when Moses thought correctly and God listened, the remnant responded. That's how Exodus 32 spoke to me, and I hope you all let the Spirit speak to you as well. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. Um, I know that this was originally going to be one sermon, so the fact that you just kept speaking to my heart and just revealing things to me and that I even, Lord, you know, uh, things that I didn't end up saying, just that I just felt that you were saying to me, I just thank you. Lord, I know that all of us can always do a better job in our thinking, but again, I know half the battle is just wanting to. Lord, if we want to think correctly, you've given us a spirit that will help us do that, and as we continue to submit to him, I know it's going to come more and more natural until it's what we see in Moses. Lord, he didn't blink. He went straight to defending your reputation and straight to claiming your promises and straight to defending your holiness and straight to trusting that your remnant was out there and straight to wanting restoration between you and your people. Lord, I pray that we be just as vigilant, just as determined. Lord, thank you that you're listening. You certainly don't owe us anything. We could cry night and day and you could turn a deaf ear. But thank you that your word makes it clear that you want to hear from us. And Lord, I pray you just strengthen us as your remnant to respond the way the Levites did. That no matter what you call us to do, we will stand, we will do it. Lord, pastor said it this morning because we want to honor you more than we want to honor man. Lord, you are all that matters. That will be true for eternity. And I pray that we make it a reality in our life tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, sir, I promise for next time I'll try to uh, learn that song for you. I've never heard it in my life. But it, it shows where our, our minds are because through the whole thing, and I guess through every, everything that can be said from this pulpit, what really spoke to me is just his amazing grace. You know, he could have wiped out, just like you said, go through the whole thought of, you know, starting it again through Moses or whatever. But regardless, it was, you know, it's all done through God and his plan. So if you would open up your hymnals to 343, Amazing Grace, please stand with me. Um, we'll do one, three, and five. All right? I hope that's not too hard for you. One, three, and five. And again, it's 343 in the hymnal, all right? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound That saved a wretch like me I once was lost, but now I'm found Was blind, but now I see the Lord has promised good to me, his word my hope secures. 
He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. When we've been there ten thousand years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. You know what? Let's do four as well. But this time... I'm going a little faster. Let's slow it down. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far. And grace will lead me home. His amazing grace will lead me home. Amen.